the winning streak ends. Mikhail Bridges stays going off, and Devin Booker does the same. We'll talk about what went wrong, what went right, and why it went down the way it did on today's Locked on Suns. Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a contributor at suns.com and Dime Magazine, as well as a credentialed media member covering the Suns the past five seasons. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen each and every day. We are everywhere. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you are listening or watching. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We're free everywhere, and the best way to keep us that way is to do exactly what it is you are already doing, which is to watch and to listen, and most importantly, to subscribe and follow. So hit that button down below, hit that button on your favorite podcast app, and get this show in your feed every single day. The score today, 124 to 115, so we'll talk about what went wrong. How did the Suns lose this game? How did the defense break down so badly? What went into Mikhail Bridges' huge night? And our usual recap segments looking at the rotation and more to close the show. So stay tuned until the end. Let's start with the defense, though. Because what I think is the most surprising part of this is the defense. You don't see the Suns giving up 124 points all that often. You don't see them giving up 43 to any one guy all that often either. And there were a lot of unique little wrinkles here that the the Hawks are able to pose that are pretty unique and the Suns just did not have answers. So I would say first and foremost, you have to zoom in on the three-point shooting. 48.8% for Atlanta tonight. That's, in some ways, you could say that's never going to happen again. I mean, that's outlier good. Yes, Atlanta has the roster to put together a shooting night like that, but you you don't expect it, and I'm sure even the Hawks don't go into games expecting that they're going to make 23s and, and almost half of their attempts, right? So that's one thing. And that was a through line the whole game. It wasn't like one specific player got hot or just the second quarter or the third quarter or whatever was where the the, the made shots came. It was It was throughout the entire game, and it was relatively fluky. So you can obviously dispose of it in a, in a way, and Monty Williams kind of said that to an extent. What he did say, though, and what I think is reasonable to criticize here is that they didn't adjust. And if something's happening for the entire game, yes, you could say it's lucky, but you could also say, hey, do something about it, right? Do something about it. And in this game, the ways in which the adjustments, the lack of adjustments hurt the Suns is that they, the Hawks were able to get the same types of threes. And here's what I mean. I mean, this team in general is high pick and roll, a heavy pick and roll team. They're going to have Trey Young at the top of the arc, and he's going to come off of a Clint Capella screen. I mean, that's their bread and butter. That's a lot of teams bread and butter, but especially with Trey Young orchestrating everything, that's what he loves to do. And so you had that, you had Kevin Herter, who has be re- recently been added to their starting lineup, and both of those guys are able to handle the ball, and the Suns were not contesting the shots. When they were pulling up from three off of a screen, 
which they both do frequently. Like, that is in the game plan. When that was happening, the Suns did not get a hand in their face. They were trying to go over screens and drop the big man. So most often that was Mikhail Bridges on Trey Young. And I, I want to say most often it was Devin Booker on Kevin Herter. Um, again, a lot of switching and, and a lot of different assignments throughout the game. So I might not be totally correct saying that all the threes were defended by Booker when it when it was coming from Herter. But generally that was the matchup. And so you had Bridges and Booker trying to, to fight and slide over the top of the Clint Capella screen, of the John Collins screen, of the Anyeka Okongwu screen. And then you had either DeAndre Ayton or JaVale McGee, and actually JaVale was one of the bigger culprits of this in the second quarter, dropping into the paint. And so what does that allow? It allows bombs away, basically, right? And that was a big problem. Herder in particular went off in that second quarter. I want to say he scored double digits in that frame and made multiple threes and the Suns just did not adjust quickly enough so I thought around the eight minute mark Monty called the timeout I posted this on Twitter but I I was completely convinced of it we're gonna see Aiton right now because he can execute more of a get in your face type of defense he can hedge and get his you know move his feet get his hands in the face of those shooters well Monty did not put DeAndre Ayton into the game and Ayton ended up only playing 24 minutes. We really didn't see an adjustment until late third quarter, early fourth quarter when the Suns finally went small with Jake Crowder at center, which is something you've heard me talk about a lot if you're a frequent listener of, yes, it's cool and good that we've seen Ish Wainwright play a little bit of five, but really if the Suns are going to play small ball as the roster currently stands right now, Jake Crowder is the best option. And I think Monty seems to agree with that because Ish only got six minutes. Crowder got 34, which is on the high end for him. And we saw him playing center quite a bit because late in the game, a lot of that same types of of action is still playing out. But John Collins is actually at center because you look at the box score. Clint Clint Capella only played 25 minutes in this game. Okongwu played 15 which means there was a lot of time where Collins was the center, where he was really the the five. And we know he can space the floor. He's a little bit more versatile. You don't always know what he's going to do when he sets the screen, whether he's going to pop out versus roll to the basket. And so what the Suns did is said, okay, Cam Johnson's going to come onto the floor. Jay Crowder's going to defend John Collins. And we're going to try to switch everything. And not just switch, but also double team Trey Young, blitz Trey Young, uh, really be aggressive in the you know swarming mentality that we want to have. And this, the Hawks just flat out had an answer. And you could say it was probably too late at that point because they were in such a groove offensively that you could tell they just had a level of comfort. They were looking for their shots. They were finding the open teammate. And I think at that point, the Suns were down, you know, basically double digits and just didn't have enough to stop Atlanta enough consecutive times to really quiet that storm down. So the defense doesn't typically do this. I also think Atlanta is a unique matchup. They have been hot lately, and those threes make it hard to really judge. But you just want to see those adjustments come earlier, both from the players and from the coaching staff, to not allow a team to get into such a ridiculous rhythm. I I feel like the Suns somewhat underestimated Atlanta and expected them to get cold at some point, and they just didn't do that. They just did not do that. So 
The only real, I guess you could say, uh, surprise on the Sun side, the the big addition, the big positive on the Sun side would be Mikael Bridges, 24 points, his third straight 20-point game. So we have to talk about him and his big night next. First, though, guys, a quick word from Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football heads towards the big game and the NBA enters its stretch run. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news all season long. It's not just football, though. BetOnline has you covered with up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, the NHL, boxing, UFC, as well as real-time live updates of current games across all sports. Don't wait. Take advantage of all the amazing offers available at BetOnline throughout 2022. BetOnline, where the game starts. Sounds somewhat remarkable with the Iron Man that Mikhail Bridges has been dating back all the way to his college days, but this is the first time in his career that he has had three straight 20-point games. And consistency's been an issue for him in his career. I mean, maybe the, the highest profile example being 26, 27 points in Game 2 of the NBA Finals, and then difficult for him to even crack double digits the rest of that series. So to string high-level offensive performances together the way that he has, and not just relying on the three ball, because he was only two of seven from deep in this game, is huge. It's huge for him, his growth, for those of us who have, I said fur, that's very, I'm really emphasizing the weird pronunciation of that, for everybody who's watched his entire career. You know, we have all been rooting for this guy, and to me, this feels replicable, but I also want to temper expectations, because as much as you can celebrate the three straight 20-point games, this looks relatively similar to what we saw early on in the season. There were moments early on in the season where you came out, where he came out, and you felt like, okay, this could really be the third scorer for this team. This could be the breakout year that we were waiting for from Mikhail Bridges. So I don't want to put too much stock into three games because look, I'm looking back. So he opened the game, he opened the season rather with seven straight double digit scoring games, including two of 20 or more points in that stretch. And then from then on, he has not really put a stretch like that together. So after coming out kind of guns blazing, he also had four more in a row after. So of his first 12 games, 11 were were double-digit scoring nights. And then it it dipped from there, and he hasn't really picked it back up to such a great degree until now. That's just the numbers, though. The way he's doing it has been pretty interesting as well, so much so that I actually stayed up late, and that's part of why I'm a a little bit late on this podcast, uh, stayed on late, I mean, on the Zoom call, to try to hear what Monty Williams had to say about how the Suns are using Mikhail Bridges. You might have noticed a little bit of a trick or two from these guys. Again, part of it might be the matchup. So I want to preface it again. Atlanta is such a unique team. They're able to play small. They have so much scoring. But Brooklyn and Atlanta both like to play small. Of course, this is his third straight game, but these two have it in, and and the Spurs are fairly similar. So I guess 
with the Suns playing Ish Wainwright at the five to close that game, it really is a through line here. And what often happens when the Suns are playing small teams, but even in regular matchups as well, is teams try to hide their smaller, less impactful defensive players on bridges. It's something the Suns do with with Chris Paul, obviously, as well, right? You don't want to have your high-level offensive engine having to defend Chris Paul or Devin Booker or, you know, in, in a different situation, maybe Cameron Payne. So what you do instead is you put, let's say, Trey Young on those guys, onto Mikhail Bridges instead of the Suns' star backcourt. And there's a few ways to attack that, and we've seen a lot of them all unfolding recently for the Suns in, in these past three games when Mikhail has been scoring so well. You can get the ball to him and empower him and, and even call plays for him to attack. Just shoot over the top of those guys. That's the simplest way. Get him an open three where even if there's a hand, quote unquote, a hand in his face, he's going to be able to just rise up over the top of it and bury a shot because he's 6'7 with a freakish 7'2 wingspan and he can get that shot up, right? So yeah, Trey Young can be right there for it. Perfect contest theoretically, but it's not going to do much with Mikhail Bridges' length and wingspan. You can also do the same thing when he's attacking a closeout. If that shot doesn't get up, if he doesn't have the time to get it off, maybe he's going to take a couple dribbles get into that mid-range pull-up. You can also call simple plays for him. The Suns have a couple of sets that they run for fur. Again, there it is. A couple of sets for Bridges to uh, get open in the mid-range just to to ignore. Let's not even bother with getting you that three-point look. Let's just get you inside for a a quick pull-up and and potentially a layup, whatever it might be. The other big one and, and probably the newest one is... The seals in transition, and we've talked so much about that play, that that situation for DeAndre Ayton because he is faced with similar mismatches a lot of the time, especially if he's able to run the floor, and it's just going to be about whoever can grab you, basically, whoever can defend you. But with Bridges specifically, what's so smart about it is because I was talking about the mismatches on the other side, right? Teams will try to hide their their weaker defenders, their smaller guys on him. But the same is true on the other end. Most of the time, Bridges is guarding players who are smaller than him. So in this game, Bridges and, and Trey were matched up on both ends of the floor, meaning Bridges was also guarding Trey. And so when, let's say, Young, those same situations I was talking about in the first segment, pulls up from deep off of a screen, a lot of them went in tonight, but five of them missed, Let's say that shot bounces pretty far back into the perimeter. Somebody grabs that rebound, gets the ball to Chris Paul. Well, if Bridges is running the floor right away in an instant after that shot goes up, the closest guy to him who's going to take him in transition is going to be Trey Young. And in this case, that happened to be his primary matchup throughout the night. But think about it in a different in a different uh, for a different matchup. Let's say Kyrie Irving, for instance. Kyrie, I don't believe, was guarding McHale in that game. Tr- James Harden wasn't guarding McHale most of the time in that game, but he was guarding those guys. And so if they have to defend him suddenly, then that's a similar mismatch. And so you can 
feed him the ball and it acts as a similar type of thing. I mean, maybe he he's not so natural in the post like DeAndre Ayton might be. He hasn't been playing there his whole career like a seven-footer would, but the end result is the same. You have an easy layup as long as Bridges is working himself in a good position and Chris Paul finds him, right? And so I asked Monty Williams, like, what was something said? Was there some sort of eureka moment of like, oh man, that's exploitable for us and that's an easy way to punish teams who want to play small and switch everything and try to hide their guys and Monty I'm I don't part of me doesn't know if I believe this all the way or not but Monty basically said like that's all on the players him and Chris Bridges and Chris are reading that in real time and just making it happen and so let's hope that that continues because it's uh it's an again an easy chess move for the Suns to make when they see teams downsizing or trying to be cute with the versatility and switching. Like it doesn't have to always be that DeAndre Ayton is the one who punishes guys who are smaller than him. You know, Bridges has that ability as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we eventually, you know, maybe Devin Booker can can do the same. I don't know. I just think those types of little advantages are what's going to make the difference to make it harder for teams to stop this offense and yes it looks and and feels nicer when it's you know 20 points in a bunch of games in a row we don't know how long that streak will continue it kind of doesn't matter Bridges being this aggressive and and using new ways to score the ball and his teammates trusting him and finding him in those moments is plenty big enough uh, of a development so Hopefully that is something that they can transport even when it's not such an obvious game plan move, when it's not such a team that wants to play so small. But look, if if Bridges now has anybody on him smaller in transition, that, that should be something that becomes immediate. Look, we can do that and we can score. Period. Let's get you the ball. Like that that can be something now that we now that they've done it three straight games where it can come back up in, in big moments when teams try to outmaneuver the Suns in that way. So had to highlight that and, and give the, the obvious tip of the hat to Mikhail Bridges for three straight strong outings now. Want to get to the Benchmob vibe check. Want to get to the Cam Johnson breakout watch again here. First though, guys, this year, make your re- New Year's resolution stick with Bill Bar. Bill Bar is the protein bar that tastes even better then your favorite candy bar. Bilt Bar makes it easy to stick to that resolution because it actually tastes good. You actually want to eat it and you don't give up. You can sometimes, with best intentions, you want to eat healthy, but it gets boring. You are stuffing stuff into your face that you know you don't like. You don't actually care for the food. You don't actually enjoy that process. You're just doing it because somebody told you to or you saw a commercial or you feel the pressure to make something happen. Well, Bilt Bar can be that solution. This new year... Go to all of your secret street treat stashes, whether that's home, in the pantry, at the office, in the car, wherever it might be, throw out all the sugary or calorie-filled treats and replace them with Bilt Bar. So when you're craving a snack, reach for something that's healthy and tastes delicious and grab that Bilt Bar. They are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew, packed with 15 to 20 grams of protein, never going to go over 5 grams of sugar, so you know you're getting something that's light, that's lean, and that tastes great. Go to Built.com, check it out for yourself, find a flavor that works for you, and use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. 
Couple last things to get to here. I need to come up with a name for the games. I need to come up with a name for a segment where I can appreciate Devin Booker's greatness. Kind of talk about a big night from him, even if it's not his absolute best, and not just gloss over it, but also not highlight it so much because this game was just more of the same from this guy. Like, you know, it was not even his best. Like, 32 points, he was basically 50% from the field, but missed a lot of his threes and turned the ball over uh, a couple of times. I guess only two, but only three assists, so it doesn't look so pretty as it might often do. So it's like, I don't want to necessarily heap praise. They lost, and he wasn't at his absolute best. But I also, look, can't this guy played 38 minutes, 32 points, like, he just made his third all-star team. Am I really going to be the type to criticize that? I, I don't know. But uh, anyway, I, I guess just maybe the Devin Booker shout out. Maybe it's just the the obligatory tip of the hat to Book. And he, uh, he he's clearly deserving most nights of a reference, even if I don't highlight him in such thorough detail. But the real guy that I want to highlight here is Cameron Johnson. We tend to circle back to this Cam Johnson breakout watch fairly often. The big development tonight, and it goes right into talking about the rotation in the Benchmob vibe check, but it's the trust that Monty has in him in fourth quarters. And in this game, obviously, it came down to Crowder at center, so they both were able to play. In the Brooklyn game, Cam played what I remember to be a little bit deeper into the fourth quarter than is normal for him when Crowder is healthy. You know, usually Crowder's checking in around the six or seven minute mark in that fourth quarter and just playing the rest of it. What I remember, again, it's been a while between injuries and COVID and everything else, but what I remember is when Cam and Crowder have both been healthy in the past, uh, that was the case. In this game, it was about three or four minutes that Cam Johnson came was able to stay in the game before Crowder replaced him against Brooklyn. So that in and of itself is a little bit of a change. And then in this one, they both were able to close. You're just seeing Cam's minutes tick more and more up. 29 tonight, again, 34 for Crowder, a little bit high for him. They probably would have been even if Monty hadn't closed small. And there's a lot that's already been said on this show on among Suns fans. Like we all know how much better this guy has gotten, but that trust level is huge because you could see a world in which going back to the bench harms his confidence, harms his rhythm, whatever it might be, but Cam has not missed a beat. And so 13 points and eight rebounds again for him tonight, two steals. He's able to guard some of those smaller guys, which is helpful when you're trying to play small and, and you're trying to switch because you don't panic if Cam ends up on Kevin Herter or on Bogdan Bogdanovich or even on Trey Young in a pinch. It's not the end of the world, and that's been a huge development for him as well in addition to just becoming a lights-out scorer. We'll see if he ends up at the three-point contest. Hopefully we know that by the next time that I record. From a Benchmob vibe check standpoint, I actually want to start with the big man rotation and probably end up talking about somebody who does not come off the bench. You might know where I'm going with that. But Bismack Biombo did not play in this game. A little bit interesting. Although against Brooklyn, he only played, I believe, eight minutes. He came in, actually, it might have been fewer than that. He came in for the, in, in the second quarter, I want to say, and blitzed 
James Harden a bit. Monty put him in to, to do that. Maybe felt a little more comfortable with Biombo, his agility, kind of mobility. To do that, rather than dropping like McGee is basically always going to do. So not a lot of minutes in that game. And then zero in this game because, again, a lot of small ball. But also, there's just not going to be minutes for all three of these players and that's the reality. Biombo, even when he was added at the time, you know, part of why it was a little bit criticized or at least people were skeptical of it among Suns fans is there's not room for him. And I think we just have to remember that's still true. And especially as we make our way closer to the playoffs, unless there's foul trouble or an injury, there's going to be a lot of games where Biombo just does not see the floor. And he's a heck of an insurance policy now that we know what he's capable of in this system. But He's probably going to see a lot of DNP CDs before it is all said and done. The other end of that stick, though, is DeAndre Ayton. He is, I mean, if you're just looking at the box score, if you missed this game and you just checked the box score and now you're listening to this show, that is probably one of the main things you noticed aside from the defense and Mikhail Bridges going off is that Ayton only played 24 minutes, six points, nine rebounds, no blocks, very, very quiet. And again, I'll say it one more time. The Suns played way more small ball than we are used to seeing from them in the second half. But at the same time, I don't think that's their preference. And if if Monty felt comfortable with DeAndre Ayton playing, even with John Collins at center, I think they would have done so. We've seen it dating back all the way to the end of last regular season into that Clippers series. They don't bench Aiton in those moments. Even if it's a weapon they want to have to have Crowder or Ish at the five, Aiton is their small ball beater. And so I don't think we should see this as a sea change of DeAndre is no longer going to be out there if another team goes small. I think what this says to me more is that they must have really been, you know, they must have really had an issue with what his conditioning level was uh, to hold him out because he was not in foul trouble either. Only one foul tonight for him. You could definitely see it in his return game against the Nets the other night that he was winded after not even that long of stretches of play, you know, maybe five, six minutes. Usually you'll see him if it's like seven or eight, start to really, you know, have his hands on his knees and and be slow to get down the floor. But you were seeing it pretty quickly into a rotation segment in that Brooklyn game. And I think Monty just saw that in that last game and said, hey, we're not going to push it. Maybe partially for his health, partially just to stay competitive and win. Like we can't have somebody out there who's physically incapable of the level of energy we need. And so DA only played 24 minutes. Now, again, not something that I'm going to bank on permanently as he practices more and gets into game shape and, and just gets some minutes back under him, I think that will help. He not only he had only barely been getting back into routine from COVID before he got the injury. So it's been a while since he's been able to really get into a rhythm. And so not a surprise, not anything to panic about, but definitely there on the horizon. Other than that, I don't really think there's a ton. Monty admitted post-game that putting Jalen Smith out there in the fourth quarter was Maybe not the most fair thing to do from a a personnel standpoint. It didn't make a lot of sense in real time to me. It didn't end up making too big of a difference in the game. Jalen Smith, the the Suns route scored by five points during his four minutes, and he did not produce a single 
box score statistics. So he was on the four trillion club tonight. But everything else pretty much the same. The injuries are just still lingering over all of this. Candry Candry Shamit and Lamb Payne, I guess, will do that tonight. Those guys are still out with their injuries respectively. I wouldn't be surprised if they're both out until the All-Star break at this point. There's no reason really to, to rush them back. The Suns are able to make do pretty okay. Uh, you don't like that Paul and Booker are playing so much. It is what it is. Maybe if, if Payne can come back sooner, he will. Payne, uh, Shamit's injury seemed pretty rough. He was had to be helped off the floor and everything else. So this is it for the foreseeable future. This road trip should be a blast. I'll have more thoughts on this weekend's games come Monday. But that's it for me this week, guys. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen today and every single weekday. Now go make Locked On Bets your second listen to get everything you need on the Super Bowl. And I will talk to you guys on Monday.